Well, probably one of the most famous philosophers in the entire Western world throughout all of history, Socrates. And Socrates was known for, you know, being brilliant, but he taught in a way that's still famous to this day, known as the Socratic method. He asked questions. So rather than, like, answering, he asked. Somebody would go up to Socrates and say, Socrates, what's the secret to a good life? Socrates would say, what do you think the secret to a good life is? Well, I don't know if he invented it, but it's definitely popular in Jewish circles to this very day. Jewish people often answer questions with questions to this very day, even in the days of Jesus. Jesus himself often answered questions with questions. Perhaps one of the most important questions a human can ask is where we're at in the book of Matthew. So before we look at it, just to play a little with the theme, how many of you have ever heard this, this, this uh, statement before? There's no such thing as a foolish question, just a foolish answer. If you've heard that, let me see your hands. Yeah. Well, just to make fun of that and to mock it, I've come up with some foolish questions. Foolish question number one. How come when you dial the phone wrong and you get a wrong number, it's never busy? Every time you dial a wrong number, it's a never busy signal. Interesting, huh? So, hello? Oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong number. How about this? Do people who live in Australia call the rest of the world up over? Stupid question number two. <laughs> okay. Stupid question number three. How come night falls but day breaks? Are you guys sleeping? Cricket sound. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. How about this one? Why is the third hand on the watch always called the second hand? Stupid question <laughs> number five. I've only got a couple more. How come lemon juice has artificial flavoring, but dish soap is made with real lemons? <laughs> Stupid question number six. Why are they called apartments when they're all close together? Yeah, apartments. <laughs> you got to think on these a little before you say, man, that was stupid. And for the Raytheon crew, crew stupid question number seven, are part-time band leaders semiconductors? <laughs> I got more, but I'll leave you with those. As to questions. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Just be glad I didn't do the semicolon joke. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Children do the best with questions, don't they? Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad, why does the car have four wheels? Dad, Dad, Dad. Don't get annoyed when your kids ask you lots of questions. Just be honored that they think you actually know the answers. <laughs> So we're in Matthew 19, 16. Question to Jesus from the guy known as the rich young ruler. Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? There's the question. And here's Jesus' answer. Why do you call me good? Asked a question? Asked another question. I'll tell you why you ask a question to answer a question to get people thinking. It's real easy to lay out an answer. 
But how about you give them something to think on? And I've learned that when you give somebody something to think on, they actually listen, as opposed to just giving them the answer. Sometimes it goes in one ear out the other. But you make their wheels turn a little bit, they actually hear something. See, this guy, I mean, he's already presupposing he knows the answer. What good thing must I do to get to heaven? Who told you you had to do a good thing to get to heaven? What got you that far? He's already presupposing half his answer. If there's just something good I could do, I could get to heaven. How do you know that? So he asked Jesus, what good thing can I do to get to heaven? Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. But if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. All right, first he asks him a question. Then he gives him a little more data. Only God's good. He says, what good thing must I do to get to heaven? And he says, God is good, only. He doesn't come out and say, you can't be good. He hints to the guy, why are you calling me good? Only God's good. Now, this has confused some people. Is Jesus denying that he's God? No. He's teaching the guy, only God's good. Jesus is God, God's good. Why did you call me good? Only God's good. Well, if only God's good, what about this guy? He's not. Right? Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that's God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So, he says, what good thing I can do? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Ah, if you want to get into eternal life, keep the commandments. If you want to get into that life, you must keep the commandments. The young man said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you must not murder. That would be the sixth commandment. You must not commit adultery, there's the seventh. You must not steal, there's eight. You must not give false testimony, there's nine. Honor your father and mother, back to number five. You must love your neighbors yourself. Well, that's not one of the ten. No, it's not. But he threw it in there. He gave half the commandments, half the ten, and then threw in another. It's found in Leviticus, but it's not part of the ten. And here's what the young man said. Oh, I've kept all these. Really? Have you now? Guy thought he was already good. Apparently. But he knew there was something lacking. So Jesus said, I've got this covered. Let me tell you what Jesus says. But before we get there, got to understand something about goodness. Listen to what the Apostle James said. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. So Jesus throws out five commandments and a sixth. And the guy says, oh, I've done all this. Have you? Well, there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Think he's kept them all? King Solomon said there's no one who does not sin. He said that in that amazing prayer when he was dedicating the temple. And that's why he's, the temple was made so that sinful people could have a place to go to have their sins atoned for. The Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only way to be seen sin-free is actually to acknowledge your sin. And then God can forgive it. But if we don't acknowledge our sin, we keep it. And we can't be sin-free. So here's this kid, 
young rich ruler, comes up to Jesus and basically says, I want to go to heaven. What do I got to do? Jesus says, be good. The guy says, I am good. In a nutshell, that's how the conversation went. But Jesus said, you must love your neighbor as yourself. He threw that one in there. Apparently, this guy thought he was doing it. He said, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you own and give the money to the destitute and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come back and follow me. You know the two greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. This guy is claiming to be good. He just broke the two greatest commandments. Jesus didn't turn around and say, you just broke the two greatest commandments. He said, nobody's good but God. If you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. It says that when the young man heard this statement, he went away sad because he had many possessions. He disobeyed God, wouldn't sell everything that he had, and he didn't love his neighbors as himself because he wouldn't give it to the poor. The whole point of this lesson is simply this. Nobody is good enough to get into heaven. Only God can get us there. This man loved stuff more than he loved his neighbors, and he loved stuff more than he loved God. And I just wonder, if Jesus was here today, and you had a one-on-one with him, and you said to him, what do I lack? Is there something he would tell you to do that you would say, I don't think so. I don't want to do it. I think he picked sell all that you have because he knew this guy loved his money. I bet you if this guy was a multimillionaire but didn't love his money, Jesus would have come up with something else. Jesus doesn't have a problem with money. He doesn't have a problem with people being wealthy. The problem is people loving money. So what keeps us from serving God? For some of us, it may be money. For some of us, it may be some other thing we cherish. What gets in your way of attending church regularly, serving at the church, tithing? What is it that interferes with your relationship with God? So the guy goes away sad. I can imagine the disciples witnessing this Jesus sent him away. Jesus said, no, 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 come back, come back, back. He didn't do that. The guy's heart wasn't right. Jesus let him go. Sad. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were completely astonished and said, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, for humans, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. It's funny, you know, if you follow Jesus around, he was constantly tripping people up, constantly saying things they didn't expect, offending them. He wasn't offensive but he offended a lot of people. Even something as simple as this. Last week, it was the whole divorce and remarriage thing. 
This week, it's the money thing and the rich young ruler. In a couple weeks, he's going to tell people to eat his flesh. He's always saying things to get people to think. Abraham was wealthy because God made him wealthy. Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world because God made Solomon wealthy. God never told Abraham to give all his money away. God never told Solomon to give all his money away. But this guy loved his money. Thinking Solomon's problem wasn't money. He had other problems. We'll talk about those when we finish up, get back into Kings after the holidays. Money isn't anybody's problem. Money is like a gun. You've heard the saying, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Gun's a tool. Baseball bat's a tool. Screwdriver's a tool. If you're driving it to somebody's head, that's a problem. But you don't blame the screwdriver for it. You don't blame the baseball bat for it. You blame the person. Money's a tool. The love of money is the problem. Here's what the Bible says. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires which pull them down to ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a source of all kinds of evil. Some have been so eager to have it that they've wandered away from the faith and have broken their hearts with many sorrows. A few years ago, USA Today took a survey Ask people, especially rich people, what constitutes rich? How much money do you need to have to be considered wealthy? And this was several years ago, maybe nine years ago or something, and the number came in between one and five million dollars. They figured it maybe 1991, if you had between one and five million dollars, you were set for life. You could never work and still have a comfortable life. So then you're considered rich. But then they interviewed people that had one to five million dollars, and 55% of them, more than half, did not consider themselves rich. Isn't that weird? But listen to this poem I found, and it'll help put it into perspective. It's fashioned as a, uh, a prayer. Dear Lord, I've been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and is obviously wrong choice. But it set me thinking. No matter how much wealth he had, he couldn't ride in a car, couldn't have any surgery, couldn't turn on a light, couldn't buy penicillin, couldn't watch TV, couldn't type a letter, couldn't mow the lawn, couldn't fly in an airplane, couldn't sleep on an inner spring mattress, and couldn't talk on a phone. If he was rich, what am I? Jesus told his disciples that where their heart is, that's where the riches are, and vice versa. There's a famous rabbi named Chofetz Chaim. He actually, there's actually a synagogue named after him here in Tucson. It's a Chofetz Chaim synagogue. It's at Rosemont and Fifth. It's an Orthodox synagogue. And famous people and just people in general would come to visit this brilliant rabbi. And one day it was reported that somebody visited him at his house. And when the person got in here, it's a famous rabbi, saw some books, a table, and a bench. That was all his worldly possessions. That was all his furniture. Books, a table, and a bench. So he asked the rabbi, Rabbi, where's all your furniture? And the rabbi, being a good Jewish rabbi, responded with a question. Where's yours? The guy said, I'm just visiting 
My furniture's at home. Ah, that's where mine is. I'm just visiting. My furniture's home. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. So I guess the question we need to answer for ourselves tonight is where's your heart? Or is this your home? Or are you just passing through? This guy came up to Jesus, wanted a straight answer. What do I have to do? What goodness can I do to get to heaven? Jesus basically said, nothing you can do to get to heaven, but understand you're not good. Well, I want to do good. What do I have to do? Well, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Nope, guess I'm not good after all. I can't do that. So how do we get to heaven? The Bible says that the Messiah died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He brings us to God, but he died for our sins. So the first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we have sin. This guy wasn't willing to do that at first. I bet you by the time he walked away from Jesus, he got it and realized where he was. I hope, I'd like to believe that a few months, a few years, this guy had a change of heart and became a believer and we'll see him in heaven someday. But maybe he died with his hands full of gold. I don't know. I don't know what your gold is. Maybe money, maybe something else. Is there something keeping you from Jesus? And if not, great. How about you? Pray for your friends. Maybe there's something keeping them from Jesus. Don't know what it is. Pray that God will show them, just like he showed the rich young ruler. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we cannot often see our own hearts, and we have deceived ourselves. And so I pray for those who may be listening now that if there's something within their lives keeping them from a full and complete relationship with you, that you would show them, show me. Because, Lord, though I've given my heart to Yeshua, I want to make sure I serve you with my entire being. Please show each and every one of us where we fall short, but especially those who have not yet turned from their sins and come to know you. Help us to be pleasing to you in every way and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and to love you with all of our hearts. Thank you for sending your Son. Amen.